so yeah, I kind of I hang out back in there. So you might on any particular day go and find me, you know, focused back there. I don't know why, but for some reason being around other people helps me focus. That's weird. Alone, I, it's harder for me. But I was up there the other day. It was the afternoon. I think it was Thursday afternoon. And I went up to my usual lair up there, and I saw a couple of people. There's only three people in there, and one of them was Rosie. Is Rosie in there? She is. So uh, it, we were talking about character camp and, and all that, and just conversation. And somehow the conversation came around to uh, something that her kids did that she thought was, I don't know how we got to this, but she said uh, she was at Camp 4 up on the mountain one day. She was meeting a friend, and the windows there had clearly just been washed. I don't know if the people had just you know, done it, and they, she could see them somewhere else or whatever. But, uh, so she goes inside the coffee shop, and she's standing there talking to a friend. And now you can't hold this against her little boys, okay? So don't say anything to them. But she looks back, and her boys are licking the window. <laughs> the, those little panes up there. If you go up there, you'll see what I'm trying to do. And she's like, what could, what are you doing? You know, what is happening? Why are you licking the window? And we've all, if you have kids, you've had that. In, in, a, in a funny way, there is something about that that is not unlike what Paul is going to say to us in Galatians. Because <laughs> at the very end of this passage, you'll say, I'm just perplexed by you people. I do not understand what you're doing. Of course, it's not licking windows, but it's something more significant. But, but when she told me that, I thought, this sort of resonates uh, this, what, what Paul does is he comes in and he, he has this lament. We're in chapter 4 of Galatians here. And he laments to his, very personally to these people that he's writing to. And he says, you know, we were so close. And you came to know Jesus and you were, you were walking with him and he was filling you and you were growing. And now something has happened. Something's caused you to drift He, I love one phrase in there. He says, what, I, what I've been dreaming of is that Jesus would be formed in you. That you would know him, he would know you, and, you would, and he would be formed inside of you. That we'd be growing in him that much. But instead, you've, you've come unanchored or you're, you're off course. For some reason, the waves, the struggle, the winds, the, the things of life have pushed you off course. And as I'm thinking about this uh, passage and, and digging into it, I'm like... I can relate to this. It, it is not a, there's not a day that goes by that I don't find myself where I know that there was this connection with Christ that I've had, but now I'm just drifting off in this other place, disconnected from Him. And, the, and I've, it, whatever the, the things that are buffeting me have driven me to this other place. And I think this is what Paul is calling out with them. Let's look at the passage together. It's uh, Galatians 4, 8. And let me say this, uh, as I read this, or, and as you watch along, uh, this, is one of, this is a pretty classic Pauline statement. If you read much Paul, he can, when he gets passionate about something, it's like a, it's like a, a, like a ping pong ball, you know, just going all over the place. And he does that. So read with me and bear with me, and then we'll come back and kind of put the pieces together and make sure that they really make sense. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. 
Now that you have, that has happened, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Just seriously frustrated with them. Brothers, I entreat you. This is where he gets really personal. Become as I am. For I, was, for I have become as you, as you are. In other words, at, at one time I was like you. But we, have, it, but we have moved beyond that. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment, a sickness, that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial for you, you did not scorn or despise me. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that's those people who want you to be more religious than Christian, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, to block you from biblical influence, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, but not just when I am present with you. My little children, from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed... Let me see if I read that. My little, until I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Paul is lovingly and personally calling out to these people and drawing them back on course. What he's going to do in the process as this passage unfolds is he's going to share with them different influences that have caused them to drift, to move away. And that's, that's kind of going to form our outline this morning. But before we get to that, I want to say this. If, you, if you're a believer here, what I'd, I'd love for you to do is to, is to zoom out and maybe look at that ship of your life or that boat of your life, or perhaps it's a dinghy <laughs> or a little tiny raft, I don't know, whatever your life looks like in your mind. And, and as we talk about this and as you hear what Paul says, examine your life and say, okay, am I aware of these things that are buffeting me or pushing me off course? Can I be aware of these things and how are they impacting me? And, and if you're not a believer, if you're someone who hasn't come to that place of putting your faith in Christ so that you know God, perhaps you could, what I'd like to encourage you to do is come at this intellectually and say, all right, what I'm going to do is I will also try to strip away all of those things that can buffet and can... Cause me to be incorrectly informed. Strip those things away and just look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is. Because that's what it gets down to. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so wherever, whatever perspective you're coming from, we, we need to step back and look at the situation that we're in and say, okay, Paul, I'm listening to you. What are you saying that I can use from, what, from, from your word and from the scripture to... To say, okay, this is where I am. This is what's buffeting me. This is what's turning, causing me to drift. How can I get back on course with Christ? 
So three things to be aware of. Culture, or, excuse me, religion, culture, and yourself. You need to be aware of religion, of culture, and of yourself. So let's talk with, about this uh, idea of being aware of religion. The first piece of that that I want to bring up is that we have a tendency, if we've come to know Christ, to add in what we formerly knew, what we grew up with, what, we, what our parents taught us, or what we heard from people that would influence us in, the, in that religious area. If you look at verse 8 and 10, we're going to come back to 9 later, but look at 8 and 10. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that were, are by nature are not God's. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now let's talk about what that is. They were mixing these former superstitions that they had with what they had come to understand about the truth of Jesus. So if you remember, uh, I think Acts 14, there's a passage in there where Paul and Barnabas have gone through this area that Galatia is. And the people are so excited about them and so moved and the relationships are so deep that they have brought out this uh, ox to, to sacrifice to them because they are saying they must be Zeus and Hermes. They're bringing their religion to this thing. Okay? And Paul, Paul is abhorred by this. He just can't believe that's happening. He's there to talk about Jesus and they're bringing their old religion to this scene. And what I think Paul is saying in this passage is, Formerly you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those things which are not Him. They had brought in what they had been taught and were beginning to mix that with their faith in Christ. Now I don't know what your history is, but all of us bring these things that can derail us because we're, we're attached to them more than we are to who Jesus is. When I was in college just a couple years ago... <laughs> There was the rise of this uh, industry, ice cream industry, where it went from Baskin-Robbins to this places where you could actually get stuff mashed into your ice cream, right? So I think Marble Slab might be the only one left, but Amy's and, and all that stuff. Anybody's ever... Amy still exists. So I remember uh, <laughs> my wife, Claire, she's, she's funny. Um, when she was in college, she would... Uh, which is also, was more recently than I was. She's so young. Uh, the, she would go to one ice cream place and get something and go to this other... She was in Austin for school. And she would go to Amy's and get one and then she and her friends would look at each other and they'd go to Steve's and get some more. You know, just do back to back. But this thing was that, you know, you would, you would have the original and then you would mix in something that you really liked, right? And they'd smash it in there and you could still get this done. But here, here's the difference. What these people were doing was they were taking the good thing and rather than putting in what God had provided, they were going back to the trash can of the past and getting something rotten out of there and putting it in. Do you see the difference? It's not like, oh, I'm going to pick from good things and some good... Okay, there are great things from our past, but they need to be interpreted through the Bible, through the Word of God. And then we bring, we bring that in to our faith to our relationship with Him. So they were blending the past with the truth. And then he says, you observe seasons, days, months, years. What he means by that is that there were people who had come in and they had uh, told these new believers that if they wanted to follow Jesus, then they had to add in all of these religious sort of overtones. They had to do certain things in order to be okay with Jesus. So they were continually going, 
above the line of okay with Jesus and below the line. And above, and, and, and above. And so there's this, if you do these certain things, you'll move into relationship with him because you're, you're observing these days and these feasts and these things. There are things in our life, and Lisa, you brought this up, we are trying to perform, we're finding a way that somehow we can get out of this into relationship with Christ, but the door is open. Whenever somebody asks me, what is the, what's the difference between Christianity and other faiths? The one thing I always go back to is religion is about doing. Just pull out Wikipedia and look at any other religion and you will find that it is about doing certain things. But if you look at the scripture to see, if you look at the Bible to see what Christianity is about, it is about knowing Christ. In other words, religion means to do, and Christianity means that what has had to be done is done. We don't do it. Jesus did it for us. So it's do versus done. Religion means do, Knowing Christ means that it is done. Religion can seep into our relationship with Christ. Instead of knowing Him, we try to do or erase our past or whatever we can in order to be right with Him. And that's, that's, He was the one who made us right with Him in the first place. So what are we supposed to do about that? if it's really relationship that we're supposed to have with him. This is, this is what I want to... I'm going to come back to in, in each of these points. We need to do what builds our relationship with him. So the solution when we look at the boat of our life is to say, what rather, rather than tick off a bunch of to-do list items... What I need to do is spend time with him. Identify the religious baggage that's holding you back, whatever you've believed or heard, and, go, and, and identify what those performance things are that you're trying to overcome in order to be right with him. And those things will take you away. They will cause you to drift, and that's what Paul is saying. Identify those things. So be aware of religion and how it's impacting you. So and that, let's be aware of your culture. So what do I mean by that? If we're going to walk closely with Christ and to know Him well, we need to understand what our culture is telling us and how much we're buying into that. We could spend, obviously, quite a bit of time on this. But look, we're going to go back to verse 9 here. Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to become once more? Paul uses this phrase in the passage before that we talked about last week, where he calls the influences of our culture, the natural things that we want to do, the way we would go if we didn't have Christ in our lives, he calls those the elementary, weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. In other words, what we're trying to do if we're doing this is that we're filling what you might call this God-shaped hole that we have with everything we think is going to make it right for us. We are made for relationship with Him, but our culture says 
No, what you need is this relationship with this person or this sexual relationship or this money resource or this job or this prosperity or this, these clothes, this ability, this, um, whatever it is that we, we, we just pour in and it never seems to work. But that's what our culture tells us will help us be fulfilled. So are we listening to our culture or are we in relationship with Christ? Our culture says that if you walk with Christ, if you ascribe, and when you're in relationship with Christ, you live out that uh, by following, by, by obeying Him, that you will miss out. It, uh, every, even the TV shows that I really like, that's the constant message. If you do these things, there will be happiness. If you do these things, in, in all of things that are like Christ are just completely left out. So I'm continuously getting this message from my culture. And one of the most critical things, if you're here for this marriage series that I said, that I, and I didn't make it up myself, is from a guy, J.D. Greer, who said, he said that when, when we follow Christ, when we are in relationship with Him, and we're living by what you might call those rules that come out of that relationship, what he, we are being told that we will not be fulfilled. But what the scripture says is that he is making sure, rather, that we will be fulfilled. We think we will not be fulfilled. But the truth is that because of how God has guided us to live, we will be fulfilled. Let me give you a quick example of this. I used to live on a lake for a couple of years, and where we lived, there was a kind of a, a pathway to the back, to another section of the lake, and people would come through in their boats, and it was a slow zone. There was a bunch of signs that said, slow, 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 no wake. And one of the reasons for that was that this lake was built, in this section, the trees were left for fishing. And so they basically mowed down the tops of the trees over this channel by the, by the edge of the water so that people could, could get their boats through there. Every now and then, someone would come plowing through there, you know, full throttle. And you'd see them coming, you'd be like, the, the reason that there was a no-egg zone was not to ruin your life or make your, your, your world boring. It was because, of what, like what happened to this one guy who was flying through there, I didn't actually see this, my friend did, Full throttle, came around the corner, water's low, big stump. And I don't know if you, any of you guys own, own boats or anything, but what happens when you hit a stump with the, the whole propeller and the whole motor, you know, is it actually rips that, you know, right off the back of the boat. And so this guy came through there, popped boat, does this kind of nose wheelie, and it throws the, it pulls the, the, um, the drive system right off the back of the boat. So the reason... For this, you know, just go slow. You're going to get to the fast part. There's a whole big lake out here to have all kinds of fun on. Is that you can't see what's underneath the water here. See, God doesn't limit us to make us unhappy. Or say, no, you can't have sex with anyone you want to just because I don't think you should have fun. No. You don't know what's under the water. Right? I don't know. 
we're just going to keep going. We, we do not know. We, we can't even fathom what God is protecting us from, but the reason He is protecting us is so that we will actually be fulfilled. And that fulfillment comes in relationship with Him. You will not miss out because you know Christ and follow Him. Here's, here's another thing about our culture. Did you, you notice in verse 16, he says, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? By saying that there is some kind of truth? Something that is right and wrong? Have I, am I your enemy because of that? You know, the first century was not unlike the 21st century. Things are things come out a little bit differently, but you know that our culture says that all truth is relative. Right? This is old news to you. But one way that it's so obvious, and this is like when I read, I'll read, I usually read the BBC and, uh, and I'll read uh, NPR News to keep up with what's going on. And whenever an educated writer has a paragraph in there that says, well, and there were so many tweets that didn't like such and such. I click right by that. Because what's happening is that our culture is now kind of moving towards this very visible global way of saying, there is not truth, there is just what we feel about stuff. And so for someone to say, I have truth, is to say that everyone else is wrong, and that is not palatable in our culture, in even our global culture. Truth is voted on. Uh, My friend Jake uh, sent me an article this week. I want to read you just a quick uh, statement from it. It's by a guy named Tony Renke. He says, The result of this uh, varying morality, a personal morality, is that instead of encouraging differing opinions and discussion and engagement, we have the new tolerance. It flattens out and squashes and hammers away anything that is outside the structure of what is currently going on in society. Then worse, that form of tolerance, okay, this is the important part, that form of tolerance gets elevated to the supreme virtue. That's the deep statement. That we move from truth and morality to tolerance is the extreme virtue, which means anything goes. Well, this is not new, and God is not surprised by this, right? And as believers, we have Christ in us to to walk with Him. We do not have to be afraid of these things. This this is the the pleasure that we have to bring good things into a culture that is wavering and has nothing to anchor itself in but just personal feelings. So we need to be aware of our culture. So what do we do? Well, again, I want to come back to this same thing. We need to spend time with Christ to read His... He wrote to us in the Word. Spend time with Him so that we know Him and have something to work off of. That we have a foundation, right? Remember the, the man who built his house on the stone? and the other who built his house on the sand. So be aware of your culture. We have to be aware of it. Wise people will engage with the word 
And let it be the truth that informs us. And we will be countercultural in that. So just get ready. But these first century people were as well. And you know, the funny thing is, sometimes you think, oh, the first century church, that must have been great. They had Paul, and he still had to write this stuff to them. You're mixing in all the stuff out of the trash. You know, you're following everybody else, but now looking to Christ. And they only had a few letters right now. They only have a little bit of the gospel. We have the whole New Testament. We have more than they had to move forward with. Okay, so be aware of your culture, and finally, be aware of yourself. Left to ourself, we will just look for personal gratification. That is what we do. That's what we vote for. What we like best in my life, in my culture, and so forth. That's what we want. We need to be aware of what we are after. Look at uh, verse 17. This is how Paul describes it for them. He said, These people, they who want you to be religious and not followers of Christ, they make much of you. They pump you up. They tell you you're great. They encourage you. They, they, they make you feel like you are something else, but not for a good purpose. They shut you out. In other words, by lifting you up and, and you hear what they say and you believe what they say about who you are, they block out the true influence of the Word in your life. And they want you to make much of them. They have this little cluster going on where they just begin to love and encourage and pretty soon those guys are doing, and girls are just encouraging each other and they've left behind the Word because they just wanted to hear certain things. They wanted to be filled up with things that would gratify them. See, we want approval. We want to hear things that are going to make us feel good about what we're doing. And you may be making decisions, all of us are in some place in our life, that are guiding or pulling us off course with Christ. So we need to be careful about who we're listening to. And that's the the idea I want to share with you about what to do about this thing when we're looking at ourselves and we're saying we need to be aware of how I am deviating from where Christ wants me to be. Who do I have around me? Who do you have around you that will speak the truth into your life? That you give him permission to do that? You actually have to seek that out because nobody wants to tell you the truth. Oh, there's something on your face, right? How many of us love saying, hey, you've got a big something on your cheek? Nobody. There's only like three people in this room probably that will do that. And you like those people because then you don't wander around with a big you know, piece of, of blueberry muffin on your face all day. Or your collar. This is the one I love. My collar's up. It's halfway through the day. I'm like, what? Why didn't somebody just tell me? I'm like, it's like I didn't like look at, in the mirror, you know? So we, want, we need people to tell us the truth. But we have to invite people into that space. It just doesn't happen. You can have a random person tell you the truth or say something or pick up a message, but you need, we need people around us, like Paul, who, who we are close to who will say true things to us, not just fill us up with what we want to hear. And they'll tell us about relationship with Christ. We need that. I mean, I think of our kids in this community, not just the adults, but... The, the kids in our community don't have people who are speaking the truth into their lives all day long. The, the solid Christian kids are so few and far between that it's a lonely existence to follow Christ. And so thank you so much to all of you who have supported Young Life in our youth ministry here to bring in people who will love them and be role models for them. To speak truth 
into their lives. And, and as much as we're providing that for them, we as adults need to seek those people in our lives. But we also need to take time ourselves to be alone with God. If you have never sat down to study the map, to spend some time with the captain, then you're probably off course because you're just sailing away. The wind is blowing and you're going that direction. You might have some idea of where you're going, but we've got to spend time in the truth. This is the map. This is the way we get to the place that we're going. If, let me read you this quote. If we never stop and never slow down, if you and I never stop and never slow down, take the time to engage with Jesus and with His words, we will begin to drift and, become, and come under the influence of religion, culture, and our ego. And that will lead us away from the real freedom of knowing Jesus. Let me just close with this thought. Um, this is also the same day that I was at the coffee shop and saw Rosie. Like I said, there were three other people, or four of us all together, and there were two in the corner, uh, co- two college students. And I was talking to Rosie, and one of the college students I had met before, uh, and I'm, I'm talking to her, but out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, what are they doing over there? And I'm talking to Rosie, but I'm still distracted by this couple by the window. And so finally I went over and I said hi. And, and I said, is it me? Are you guys both studying your Bibles right now? And they, and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we're just uh, journaling and, and, you know, this. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> Here are two college kids who, in a culture that says, you need everything but what is there, looking at the Word of God together. It was, it was powerful. I was so encouraged by that. In that simple thing, spending time with God together with someone, and I could tell from the relationship that they would tell the truth to each other. When, when we are in that situation, that is the place that we need to be. To have a close look at the Word to do that in conjunction with our friends who are walking with Christ, who speak the truth to us. And when that thing happens, our course will be corrected. It's not about doing, it's about what Jesus has done in knowing Him, spending time with Him. So let's take a, I'll take a lesson from those two kids. I need time honestly with Him in His Word to hear the truth. Let me pray for us. God, we are... uh, we're glad to be here with you, with brothers and sisters who want to follow you. And God, there's just everything represented in this room, all kinds of backgrounds. Um, there's sorrow and joy in here. There's um, hope. There's despair. There's a, a sense of purpose. Um, there, is, there are many of us who are floundering in our faith. God, we all drift and, and step aside. God, I pray that, that we would listen to Paul and, and I pray that he would write us, if he could, a letter that said, hey, I'm not perplexed. I can see that you're digging into the word of God, that you are seeking to know Christ and, and have him formed in each of us. So we pray for that, Father. Let this day be one that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks for being here.